So a lot going on, a lot to engage in. Uh, what a great church we have. Love it. Uh, a real blessing. And do pray for me. Next weekend, I will be preaching at uh, Rush, uh, the four uh, preaching spots at the Rush conference. Uh, it is an honor uh, that they invite the senior pastor of the church to preach at the youth conference. So um, I'm amazed. Um, it's great um, and a real honor. So do pray for God to be at work uh, there as we um, as we. Uh, believe for literally hundreds of young people to give their lives to Jesus next weekend. Uh, We've been working our way through the book of Mark and we are on chapter 5. And let me start off uh, by reading a few uh, verses from verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat and to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him and while he was by the lake... Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jarius came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. I don't know about you, but patience is not something many of us are very good at in life, are we? Are you a patient person? Are you a patient person? Uh, I know it's a challenging in different stages. When my children were very small, it was, it was tough at times to be patient. I had to be patient last weekend. We got caught in the, um, the snowstorm on the Coquihalla coming back from Multiply, uh, our C2C conference with our conf- uh, denomination. And we were trapped in hope. And as we were trapped in hope, the barriers went down and we had to sit there and we were caught there for what, close to 24 hours. Uh, I know, it's terrible. A, a place to be trapped, hope. And... <laughs> And then I, uh, we found a hotel, a little nice hotel. I won't mention its name. But it kind of reminded me of a certain film when somebody died in a shower. And um, if you like 1956 movies. And, and, and we were there. Now, of course, we were like, oh, come on. What do you mean? And, and uh, this is so inconvenient. What? All roads to the Okanagan are closed? Three roads? I mean, what is this? Canada? And, and we were stuck. Now, I was impatient. I drank a lot of cups of coffee that didn't help. And then uh, I text a few of my pastor friends. I do have some pastor friends. And, and one of them was trapped on the Coca-Cola with his little ministry team. And they were there for eight hours in the car together. That's either going to build their team dynamics or they're finished. And... And we were texting backwards and forwards, and he was very positive. You may know him, Mike Clarson, from our sister church on the other side of the lake. And so, uh, you know, what is, what is taking place here? Uh, and I thought, oh, well, I was moaning because of my, you know, I've got to sit in the Moose Cafe and, and, and have a cup of tea and, and wander around the department store called Fields. And <laughs> not to be missed... Forget Hudson Bay, fields every time. (laughs) Uh, They have 
stuff to pan for gold. So, uh, but then Mike's on the uh, Coca-Cola, stuck for eight hours. And then I read a report of a family that was stuck for 14 hours with a two-month-old baby. I know. So, my little impatience fell into, suck it up, Pastor Phil. Enjoy fields because you could be on there with a two-month-old child. And she was all on Facebook and talking about it and tweeting about it as it was happening. We live in an amazing world. Patience. It's relative, isn't it? It's time is relative to who you are and where you are and what's going on. And the one area that we find so difficult to cope with is God's timing in our lives. What is God doing in your life at the moment? Where are you at this precise moment? Do you look around in your life at this moment and say, Lord, what is going on? What is taking place? You see, patience is that long-haul journey when you decide, I'm not getting off this road, I'm staying on Highway 1, and I'm going to keep going. Patience is bearing with the pressures of the situation that you are with and the problems that you face and believing that God's going to get through that difficulty in your life. Patience, sadly, is that time when we feel the lashings of the unfairness of life and we feel the pain of that and the difficulty and we have to endure and we ask ourselves, where is God? Jarius came to Jesus because he was desperate. He was desperate because 12 years earlier he had a little baby that was born. A little girl, and he held this girl in his arms. And as he held this girl in his arms, he probably gave thanks to God. He was a synagogue ruler. What does that mean, he was a synagogue ruler? Well, if he was a synagogue ruler, it would mean that he was indeed a devoted man to Scripture and to the worship of God. It would mean, as a synagogue ruler, that he was... Somebody who was respected, somebody who was wealthy, somebody who was socially acceptable around town. And here he is at the feet of Jesus. Not only at the feet of Jesus, but if you notice in in the verse here, in verse 23, he pleaded earnestly with him. He pleaded, he travailed, he came desperately to say, I call for help on the one person that can help me. Why is it that the Western church has forgotten how to plead and call on the one person that can help us? The Lord Jesus Christ. Prayer has been dumbed down to a very simple combination of of a sort of asking God with our shopping lists. And yet very often we lose the desperation within our lives. That desperation to plead. But here he is, he's pleading. It says he's pleading earnestly. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. She will be healed and be safe. She will be healed. That word healed is, is, has, has the sense 
of soma in the Greek word. It means, uh, and soma is, is, is mentioned 14 times with healing and freedom from demonic powers. It's mentioned 21 times with deliverance from death. And in the Acts and the epistles, it's mentioned numerous times about us ultimately being saved from the curse of sin and death and the condemnation of Adam's sin. And we are rescued by God and we are given salvation. She come. Come to my, my daughter and heal her because the only hope I have, because she is as good as dead. Are you facing a situation where you feel as if the situation you are in is as good as dead? Can I encourage you to do what this man did? He pleaded. He travailed. He got on his face before God. He believed that God could do something incredible. Never stop coming to the Lord with your situations. Maybe the breath and the death and the fever is hitting your marriage. Then, then go to God in travailing prayer. Maybe it's hitting your place of work and your business and your finances. Be found on the face before the Lord, pleading in travailing prayer. Maybe it is, it is an emotional problem that you are battling with that you can't seem to overcome. Please Find yourself on your knees before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in travailing prayer. Like this man is desperate. Jesus agrees. I will come. He starts to walk. Enter act two. A woman appears. She has been bleeding for 12 years. She is exhausted. She is worn out. She's not only exhausted because of the disease itself draining her and the social, the social response from her bleeding is that she becomes an outcast. She can't live a normal life. She is known and she's seen as unclean. She can't even go to the synagogue. She can't even touch a rabbi. She has no hope. She's a lonely, broken woman and she is bleeding. She's not only worn out from the disease itself, she's actually worn out from the numerous doctors, medical profession of the time, who were prescribing and working with her. She is now bankrupt, if you like, from this illness. She is socially worn out and lost. She is financially bankrupt from the cost of her illness. She's desperate and she thinks to herself, if only I can touch Jesus. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. The cloak was like a... A poncho. That cloak was like a, um, 
men in that era would even sleep in these overcoats. It was, it was, I guess, like a blanket or a duvet that they would wear that would bring warmth. And, and she was so desperate, she felt, if only I could just touch that blanket that he's wearing, that overcoat. If only I could touch it, then something could happen. So she reaches out and she touches this. And instantly, it says, power went out. It's the first time in Mark's gospel that the Greek word dynamis is used, where we get the word dynamite. Something explosive, powered out through the very clothes. It didn't even touch his body. Through the very anointing that was dripping off the Lord Jesus Christ. The power went out, and she was instantly healed. And he turned around and said, who, who, who's... Who touched me? Well, everybody's touching you. No, who touched me? Somebody really touched me. Who was this person that came with faith? Who came with belief? Who came putting their trust in me? Who touched me right at this moment? And they looked and they said, but, but master, everybody is pushing against you. No, somebody approached me and I was the object of their faith and the object of their belief. And I want to remind you that faith isn't about the quality of your faith or the formula of your faith or how much things you can whip up in your life. Faith is about the object of your faith. And when the object of your faith is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus, the risen Son of God, that object of your faith, he can do all things in your life. Christians beat themselves up about faith. I, I've got, I can't muster faith. But what I can do is fix my eyes on Jesus. The quality. See, I grow in quality. I grow in the object of faith. And my object of faith is Jesus. Who is it? And she comes forward. And what does he say to her? He says... Tell me, verse 32, but Jesus kept looking around and see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. The whole truth. Tell me everything. Tell me what you've been through. Tell me your pain. Tell me your agony. I don't want to know the partial truth. I want to know the whole truth about your life. I want to know the whole truth about what you have faced. I want to know the whole truth about your personal pain. I want to know the whole truth about your anxiety, your stress, your isolation. See, when Jesus engages with a person, he wants to know the whole of the person. But what is Jarius doing? Come on, Jesus. My daughter is dying. What are you doing talking to this woman who's bled for 12 years? It's interesting that his daughter was 12 years old and, and she had bled for 12 years, isn't it? What is the meaning of these 12s in the scripture? 
I have no idea. Um, maybe it's 12 tribes. We can make lots of things up. But there's a symmetry in the story is actually what it is. What is taking place? Come on, if, if, if this was an emergency room and there was a woman bleeding for 12 years and there was a, a, a 12-year-old girl on the brink of death and the doctor was speaking and talking to the woman while the little girl dies, what would we call that? Malpractice. What are you doing, Jesus? What is taking place? Isn't this spiritual malpractice? Isn't this a sense of, of, of what is happening is, is wrong, that, that this is taking place? And what we want is, hurry up, Jesus. Hurry up, Jesus. Come on, do it quickly. But you see, Jesus knows the end of the story. And you look at your life and you're going, why am I going through this? Why is this taking place? Why hasn't this prayer been answered? Why hasn't this miracle happened in my life? What is going on? Hurry up, Jesus. Get on my time schedule, not yours. Friends, We have to be so devoted to Christ the King and know that his timing is always correct. It's hard for us because we don't see the whole picture. It's hard for you because life is tough. It's hard and it's a battle. And you look around and you see what is taking place and what is happening. And it takes guts. And then the word comes, forget it, she's dead. And what does Jesus say? In verse 36, don't be afraid, but believe. And I think in each of our lives, when we are facing situations where we feel there is somehow spiritual malpractice, that somehow the timing is all out, somehow this is impossible, and we need patience, we do not understand what God is doing. I think what Jesus says to every one of us is this, Do not be afraid, but believe. What does that word afraid mean? It means in the classic Greek, it means don't run away. Don't run away and hide. But believe. Have faith. Trust. Hold on. Know that God's got the bigger picture. You see, don't run away from God when, God when things go wrong. Don't run away. Run to him. You've got a problem. You do not understand the issue. You don't understand why you're traveling through this and why this is happening. Can I encourage you as your pastor to run to God? To run to him? To seek his face, to run to him in every area of your life and to keep believing. You do not understand the timing. I do not understand the timing sometimes and situations we face. But we can run to Jesus. Don't let fear drive you away from your faith. Timing is relative. (laughs) You know, Canadians... 
one thing I've noticed is that you're wonderful with timing. In fact, most of you are usually five or ten minutes early, except when coming to church. But we are. It's wonderful. You invite people around ten minutes early, knock, knock on the door. Wow. British people drive around the block until the right moment, and as it ticks, they do that. I've worked in Africa. It's completely different. They say, oh, Pastor Phil, come and preach at my church. I say, yes, brother, bishop, I'd love to preach at your church. What's the name of your church? My church is called the Tabernacle Power of the Holy Spirit Redemptive Might. I said, oh, great, that's a snappy name. Um, and I go and I, I pray, and they say, we will pick you up at 11 a.m. So I'm sat there with my Bible. One thirty p.m., the car pulls up. Pastor Phil, hallelujah! Come now and preach. So I get to the church. Everybody is, is there in the church. It's, it's wonderful. And the service goes as long as we go until the sun sets. Preach, pray for everybody, go back. You know, there is Canadian time, there is English time, and there is African time. It's all relative, isn't it? And I've done cross-cultural marriages where the groom has really been sweating because the bride, it's culturally, is 40 minutes late. And he wasn't told this. (laughs) You have your idea of timing. God has his. And we have to learn to trust and be patient. So he arrives there and he sees the people are mocking and they're talking. And and he says, she's not dead, she is asleep. And they laugh at him. When faith is at work and God's timing is at work and you know God's going to do something but it hasn't happened, beware the cynic and the mockers in the faith. Because we rationalise everything, but we forget the supernatural power of Christ to work in a life. You got saved at the right time in your life. God has a plan for every one of us. He clears them out. But let's go back to the woman for a moment. She touched his cloth. He calls her out so that everybody sees it publicly. And he says, I want to know the whole story. You see, she came for a kind of magical, mystical, powerful moment of touching, almost in a superstitious way, of touching the hem of the garment of the great teacher and believing that something will happen. And Jesus said, no, I'm not giving you a bit of garment. I'm not giving you superstition. I'm not giving you a moment where you spilt some salt and you throw it over your shoulder or you 
walk away from a ladder or, or, or some little moment where you put your fingers together and you cross your fingers and hope for the best in a superstitious way. No, when you touch me, Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, the King of the world, you get more than you bargained for. I am not interested in a little religious, superstitious act of reaching out and grabbing somebody's clothes in that ancient world way. No, no, no. I want to know you. I want to know your whole story. You think you are getting um, a a kind of moment, but what you're getting is a life-changing, transforming experience where I know you, you know me, and I transform your life. That's why he engaged with her. Because Jesus isn't really interested in just doing the power moment for your life and you move on happily. What he is most interested in you is you having a transforming relationship with him that changes your life. Transforming. And the gospel transforms your life. Encounter with Jesus isn't just getting a bit of cloth and a bit of religion and you get your ticket to heaven. It's about a transforming relationship with Jesus. And we look at the delays of our life and we say, God, how can you do this? But let me tell you something. God's timing is perfect. Our delays are his perfect timing. And I look over the whole of my life and I wonder why I had to wait. And I wonder why it was so difficult at times. And I wonder why I had to travel through this problem and this difficulty. But years later, I look back at the timeline of my life and I can see and say without a doubt, even through the darkest, even through the most painful times, God God's timing is always perfect. It's painful, but it's perfect. But she's dead. So what's perfect about that? She's dead. He comes in, he clears them all out. He brings the mom and dad in. He's got his closest disciples present, Peter, James, and John. And then we get the most amazing moment. Look at this. Verse 40. But they laughed at him. That's not the amazing moment. Lots of people will laugh at passionate people and followers of Jesus, including religious folk. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and his disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand. Stop. He took her by the hand. When Jesus takes you by the hand, something incredible is going to happen. And I want to tell you that if you are born again and you are a follower of Christ and the gospel has changed your life and you are a child of God, he has taken you by the hand. 
And you don't even have to fear death because he's got you by the hand. And he says, little girl, I say to you, get up. This is beautiful. Because of the translation, you can't, you could say in many ways, it's actually a very endearing term. And so if we were going to perhaps translate it into more, rather than general English, but kind of modern Canadian, colonial language, this is what he actually literally was saying. Honey, it's time to wake up. Honey, have you done that with your daughter, your son, when they were little? Honey, come on now. And I rub my boy's head, he's 10. I give him a little kiss. Come on, wake up. Wake up, honey, sweetheart. I don't call him that. Um, But, well... Three girls, they get the sweetheart. I look at him. I love him. This is what's going on here. He's going, honey, wake up. We know this. We've all had the moments when our little ones have fallen asleep downstairs on the couch and we've carried them upstairs or to our room and we put them in our bed and the next morning they wake up, you know, toddlers and they look around and they always go, how did I get here? I took you by the hand and I carried you and I placed you in the bedroom. The sun's shining and you're in daddy's arms. Don't remember anything. You see, when you have Jesus and you die, you don't die. You fall asleep and you wake up upstairs in the arms of the Father. And when you've got Jesus holding your hand, you are his honey. This world is dark, it's cold, it's full of disease, it's full of darkness. But the promise of Christ is that he's got your hand. And when you were born again by the power of the gospel, he grabbed hold of your hand. And how can he grab hold of your hand? Well, very simply because he let go of the hand of the Father. Because he let go of your hand, of his hand, of his father, and fell, as that song described today, into the darkness and was forsaken. He traveled through the forsakenness, the pain, the darkness of death, and he came through the other side. And you understand, as I've explained the Trinity, we don't just serve one God, we serve one God with three distinct persons. And and they know each other, they love each other, they exalt each other, they commune with each other, they defer to each other, they center on each other, they... They glorify each other. Uh, It's what C.S. Lewis called the great dance of the Trinity. We don't serve a God who is on his own. 
who's lonely and can never know love. We serve a God who, who interacts in the beauty of the Trinity in love. And there came a moment in history when he was holding, if you like, the hand of the Father. And he said, it is finished. My God, why have you forsaken me? And he let go of that hand of glory. And for eternity, he'd been connected to the glorious triune God and we don't understand how but he fell through the darkness and the pain of death and he let go of the hand of the Father for that moment. Why? So that he can come and grab hold of every one of your hands and hold it and say, you're not dead, you're asleep. Honey, I'm with you. Honey, wake up. We've all lost people. We are all losing people. But the promise of the hope is because he has gone that way, we go that way. We all know when we're children and the father and we lose our parents, but we hold on to our parents' hands, we know we all feel safe generally speaking, with our parents. You can feel safe holding the hand of Jesus. His timing is perfect. His ways, it's hard to understand. But out of this message, can I encourage you to not claim malpractice at God. You let me down. But try and see God's timing, God's ways, are not our ways. And ultimately, we live for a moment like this, but we will live together for eternity, forever. And sometimes we forget time is relative. And you can trust your Father in heaven. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Um, I think of my friends and family here. I've been here seven years, coming up in June. And have walked with many of you through times of grief and are walking through times of questioning. But I pray, Lord Jesus, that every one of us would know your hand holding our hand. That we would know your presence at work. Help us, Lord, to believe the full gospel. Thank you when we've got Jesus. Even death, which is the worst, is sleep. Where we wake up in your presence. Help us to be transformed by that relationship with you, Lord. And take us deeper into your love, we ask. In the name of Christ. Amen.